So today we're continuing reading in the Gospel of Mark, um, like we've been this season. And every once in a while, when you're reading about Jesus' life and ministry and his words and his teaching, uh, you come across something that makes you a little bit uncomfortable. And this morning is one of those passages. And it tends to make us uncomfortable because this is a passage where Jesus talks about one of the topics that he loved to talk about the most and loved to teach on the most. But it's also a topic that most of us, especially here in America, we kind of like hearing about the least. And that is, can you guess it? Money. Money. And so we're going to be in Mark chapter 10, verse 17, if you're following along in your Bibles. And if you're engaged in our reading plan, we have those at the exits. Uh, This is Thursday's reading. This is this upcoming Thursday's reading. And so in Mark chapter 10, verse 17, Mark tells us this. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have And give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. And he went away sad, because he had great wealth. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed at this. And they they said to each other, well, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And then Peter spoke up. And said, we've left everything to follow you, Jesus. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, would the words of my mouth this morning and the meditations of all of our heart, all of our hearts be acceptable to you for you are our rock and our redeemer and we've come this morning to worship you and to hear from you. And so God, in the stillness of each of our own hearts, would you speak to us this morning? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this week I learned about a new app called the Whispers app. And now I'm a, I'm a person, I have about like 150 apps on my phone. I'm always downloading new apps. Uh, but I don't actually have access to this one because this app is invitation only. And it's a pretty exclusive group that gets invited to download the app and have access to it. Because to download the Whispers app, you have to have purchased a new Rolls Royce recently. 
And if you purchase a new Rolls Royce, then you get access to the app where you can network with other people who've purchased these cars that, you know, kind of cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. You can learn news for people who are rich and famous, and you can take part in, quote, transformative experiences and purchase rare and desirable products. And so the app was in the news recently because uh, some people screenshotted one of the transformative experiences they were offering. And the transformative experience they were offering was a five-star trip to Italy, great accommodations, Michelin-level restaurants, and the works, white glove service, and it included Vatican City. And the reason it got so much news is because for $100,000 and a suggested donation of $100,000 to the Catholic Church, you could also have a private audience with Pope Francis. And so the world was like, what? Like, this is happening. People are paying for this. And I was kind of shocked because I was like, people are paying to have this audience with Pope Francis and we're having a free breakfast with the pastor next week here. (laughs) And there is no suggested donation. There is no cost. And I mean, I know I'm not quite the Pope, but I was like, wow, this is a pretty good gig here. Um, But then it turns out, uh, if you know anything about Pope Francis, he he is one who's with the poor and for the poor. And they said, "We we know nothing about this. We didn't authorize this. This is not a real thing. So they since pulled, uh, pulled the advertisement from, from the Whispers app. But there's still a lot of transformative experiences on there. And the fact still remains. There's a group of people in our world and in our culture who have access to the Whispers app, who can pay for such transformative things. They can have nice cars and drive them or maybe be driven by them. And they have more money than they could probably ever imagine spending in a lifetime. And we certainly couldn't even figure out how to spend all of the money. And and I mean, I think when a lot of us read this story of this rich young man who comes to Jesus in the Bible, I think a lot of us have in mind people who have the Whispers app on their phone. I mean, we think, yeah, you know, Jesus is talking about people like that. And man, he had some tough words for rich people. And then we let ourselves off the hook and we say, you know, good thing I'm not rich. Good thing this doesn't really apply to me. And we picture this guy coming to Jesus with maybe a chariot and some servants and wearing long flowy robes. And I used to kind of read it that way. I used to read the passage and think, man, this is a tough word for rich people and I'm not rich. But then through a variety of experiences in life, I actually realize I am a rich young man. And I didn't view myself as rich throughout my whole life. I actually, I went to public schools, K through 12, Rockdale County public school system, Rockdale County High School, Shanda Watkins, shout out over here, my alumni. (laughs) I ate public school lunch every day. I loved it. A dollar and a nickel. You could get country fried steak, white gravy, rice, and a roll, and a little carton of chocolate milk. It's delicious. And then I rode the bus to and from school most days, stand outside in the cold. And then when I finally got a car when I was old enough, the car, I didn't get a brand new car. I got a car that was about 20 years old. And so I never really considered myself rich. But then one summer a few years ago, I went and I interned with the Evangelical Methodist Church of El Salvador. And, and so I lived down there, and I lived with a host family. I have a picture here of me and my, my young self. Uh, so I lived with a host family, 
And uh, the guy right there, his name, his name is Christian. He used to live in Georgia, but now he lives back down there again. And so I lived with him, and one day, I, you know, I love the food down there, but I just needed, needed something different. And in the town we were living in, it was a very small town, there was one nice fast food restaurant that served fried chicken. It's like, you know what, I need to go get some comfort food. So I invited them to come along with me. We went and we ate, and as we were eating, I could tell they were a little bit uncomfortable. And through conversation, I realized why. They were like, this, for us, is a very luxurious experience. I mean, in our town, it's not like anybody can just go and buy fast food. I mean, you walked past an armed guard to get into the fried chicken restaurant. So I was like, huh. And then, through my experiences, as I got to know people more, I learned that, that the people I was hanging out with and working with, well, the pastors, they were all bivocational, basically got paid nothing at their churches. But then the white-collar people, they were making about $400 a month. And then one day, Christian... Uh, he used to live here, and so he kind of had an idea for me. I was wearing a rain jacket, and he really liked the rain jacket. He said, Jonathan, how much did the rain jacket cost in the United States? And I quickly changed the subject because <laughs> I didn't want to tell him that it cost $50. And then a few weeks later, he, he saw me taking pictures. I, I love taking pictures. I, I had a nice camera. And he said, how much was your camera in the States? And I, I just had to lie to him. I lied to him and I said, I, I don't remember how much it was. Even though I had purchased it with cash right before the trip. And I had to lie to him or I felt like I had to lie to him because I, I felt a little uncomfortable with the fact that the camera I was holding in my hand was worth probably six months wages for the types of jobs that he would be working. So I realized that day I'm actually a rich young man, and maybe this story does apply to me. And I, I don't know if you've ever considered yourself rich. I mean, you probably don't. Most people, I think it's 90% of people say they're, they're actually middle class. And that's because most of us, we, we compare ourselves to the people around us and the people above us. And so we look at the celebrities on TV, we look at the influencers on social media, and we think, man, I don't have any money like them. But when we begin to realize that most of the world still lives on less than $2.50 a day, it changes our perspective a little bit and we might have to admit to ourselves, even though we have varying income levels in here, that perhaps we too are rich. I saw a graph this week that kind of highlighted how we often view the world on the left. We see ourselves down there, people poorer than us, just a few people, and then people richer than us a lot above us, but then actually in the actual world, when you look at financially where we are as most Americans, we're actually towards the top. And so if this is true, if we actually are people who are rich by the world's standards, then this morning's scripture passage brings up some uncomfortable questions for us. So we have to ask ourselves, I mean, is is, is Jesus telling us here to sell everything we own and give it to the poor? His teaching that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle? I mean, it's hyperbole here, but I mean, is that teaching, is that true that it's harder for people like us who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle? I mean, does Jesus really want us to leave everything behind 
before we go and follow him? Sometimes when you're reading scripture, it makes you a little uncomfortable. And the disciples, clearly in the story, if you caught their reaction to this scene and to Jesus' teachings, they were very uncomfortable as well. They were very uncomfortable because in their culture, even in the Jewish world that they were inhabiting, uh, people viewed wealth as a sign of blessing from God. And so if you had great wealth, they said, wow, you're being blessed by God. And it was the wealthy people who were funding things like the synagogue and paying rabbis to do their work. And so they're thinking, wait a second, wait, if wealthy people can't be saved, if, if people who've held the law like this young man, if they can't be saved, I mean, they, they ask an appropriate question. They say, well, then who can be saved? What's going on here, Jesus? And it also gets a little complicated and, and raises a lot of questions when we start looking at the wider view of Jesus' ministry and other disciples, because when we look at his ministry a little bit wider, what we realize is that that there were also people who had money who followed Jesus. I mean, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He, he was a rich man as well. Jesus met him in his house, and Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this household. But Zacchaeus, he didn't give away everything he had. He only gave away half of it. So then, on Wednesday night in Bible study, we were studying a passage uh, from the, the Friday before Jesus was crucified. And there was a woman named Mary of Bethany. She had a jar of perfume worth about $25,000 in today's standards. And she poured it on his feet. But he didn't, get, he didn't get mad at her. He didn't rebuke her and say, hey, you should have sold the perfume and given the proceeds to the poor. That's what Judas told her. But Jesus received the $25,000 gift on his feet. And then after this, when Jesus is buried, after his crucifixion, there's, there's two people, one named Nicodemus and another one who's called a disciple named Joseph of Arimathea. They anoint Jesus' body with spices, so many spices that it was worth about 100 years wages. And so when we look at scripture, we find that Jesus had disciples who were poor, who gave up everything for him, like the ones we see in this passage. But then he also had disciples who had money. So what's, what, what's going on here? I mean, what does this mean for us? And when we come to Scripture and we have uncomfortable questions and we're trying to figure out what's going on, one thing we can always do is always go back to the context of the story and look again. And when we look at the context of Jesus' difficult teaching here, we learn that it was in the context of this rich young man coming to him and asking him this question, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And this young man, I mean, he had done lots of good deeds in his life. He had upheld the law. He was, I think, genuinely curious about following Jesus and receiving the gift of eternal life. And so Jesus, we read, looks at him. And when Jesus looks at him, I mean, Jesus, he can see the thoughts of our hearts. Jesus looks at him, and he sees something that the man can't see himself. He sees something the man is blind to. He sees that, yes, this man has money, but more importantly than that, money has him. He sees that in this man's life, money 
has become an idol. A good thing that this man has made the greatest thing in his life. And this man is deriving a a large amount of significance, of status and security from his wealth. And so Jesus looks at him, he realizes this, and because he loves him, remember here it says Jesus looked at him and loved him. This is the only place in scripture where it says Jesus does that to somebody. He looked at him and he loved him, and because he loved him, he said, I need you to sell everything. And give the money to the poor. I need you to let go of all of those things. Because Jesus knew that you can't serve two masters. And money was this man's master. And Jesus also knew, I mean, in answer to the man's question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I mean, Jesus knew he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life, he is the kingdom. And so Jesus knew following him was the way to the kingdom. It was the way to life eternal. And so he says to the man, he says, hey, I need you to let go of all of those things. Then come follow me. And so the man had a choice to make that day. He could follow Jesus or he could follow his money. And it's, it's, it's kind of a sad story. I mean, it gets me every time. As we see this man wrestling with the decision and him ultimately deciding he'd rather go with his treasures on earth than any treasures that he might have in heaven. And so he walks away. And when he walks away, that's when Jesus kicks into his teaching mode and he reveals something that he knows all too well to his disciples. He reveals that, look, when you are clinging on to money, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. When you're clinging on to power, you can't enter the kingdom of God. When you're clinging on to your good deeds and you want to use them to enter the kingdom of God, you can't enter the kingdom of God. When you're clinging on to your your sense of security and self-sufficiency, you can't enter the kingdom of God. When you're clinging on to your political opinions, you can't enter the kingdom of God. When you're clinging on to anything, you can't enter the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is open to those with open hands. We see Jesus teaching that the kingdom of God isn't something that we can earn. It isn't something that we can achieve. It isn't something that we can buy. Entrance into the kingdom of God is a gift that is received. And if your hands are full of other stuff, you can't receive the gift. And so Jesus is revealing here that, yeah, the kingdom of God, it's a gift of grace. It's a gift of love. But it's a gift that requires surrender. It requires letting go so that we can receive the good gift that God wants to give to us. And if you look at the the context, it's always important to read the stories of Scripture and look before them and after them in the bigger picture. And if you look right before this, Jesus makes the same point because there are some kids coming to Jesus. People are bringing their children and they're kind of crowding around Jesus looking for a blessing and the disciples don't want anything to do with it. They're like, get the kids out of here. We don't want the kids dancing up front in front of worship. We don't want the kids having fun on the playground. We don't want the kids crowding in on Jesus and his ministry. Jesus needs to spend time with the rich people. And so they push him away because in their culture, kids had no value. In our culture, you could argue It's very different, and I do think it's different. But in their culture, kids had no value. They were viewed as basically nothing. They had nothing to offer, nothing to bring. 
They weren't productive unless they could help you out. And so a lot of times children, especially little ones, were viewed as disposable. And so they said, get the kids out of here. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. Let the kids come to me. Jesus said, let the children come to me. And then he says this in Mark. He says, for truly I tell you, unless you will receive the kingdom of God like a little child, you will never enter it. Unless you receive the kingdom of God like a little child, you will never enter it. And Jesus is saying here that unless we're willing to come with open hands, to surrender everything we have, then we can't receive the good gifts that he wants to give us. One way to visualize this is with a Southeast Indian monkey trap. That's actually what I have up here, if you're wondering what this was. This is a Southeast Indian monkey trap, and it was actually available at Hobby Lobby yesterday. It had a ton of different stuff. Um, But I was actually impressed that they had this. It was perfect. So, in about 100 years ago, this is how they would, they would trap monkeys. They would have a little thing like this. Sometimes it, it might look like this. Other times it might look like a jar with a little opening at the top or a gourd with a small hole in it. And the principle of the trap remains the same. It needs to have an opening big enough for the monkey to put his hand in. And inside would be something usually like a piece of fruit. A piece of fruit or nuts or rice or things like that. And so the way they would trap monkeys is they would put it in there and the monkeys, they would smell, they would come up and they would see something that they really wanted that was going to satisfy them. And so they would come and they would grab the fruit and then they would try to get their hand out. But they wouldn't be able to get their hand out because now that the stuff was in their hands, now that they were gripping so much stuff that they weren't free anymore. And so then they would start hooting and hollering and then the hunters would just come and capture them. Now, you would think, well, they, they would just let go, right? You just let go, and then they're free. But because they were so focused on what they wanted in here and what they thought it could provide, they were unwilling to let go of it. And because they were unwilling to let go of it, instead of receiving life and freedom by running away, they received death. And, I mean, it's a simple trap and a simple principle, and it works. But that's also how it is in our lives. That's what Jesus is teaching us here. Jesus is teaching us that that he comes to us and he offers us himself. He offers us the gift of eternal life. He offers us unconditional love. He offers us forgiveness, a new identity, community, peace, and love. And he says, look, all you have to do to receive these things is just take my hand, follow me. Come, receive all the good gifts that I want to give to you. But we're so busy over here, we we see different things in here, and we're clinging on to them, and so we're unable to receive Jesus' embrace and follow him. Sometimes we're clinging on to power, status, clinging on to our our families and our stuff, This idea that we're self-sufficient and we don't need somebody to save us. Clinging on to a desire for control and comfort and predictability. And a lot of times, as Jesus teaches here and elsewhere, what we're holding on to is we're holding on to money. We're holding on to money and we're unwilling to let it go. And because we're unwilling to let it go, 
we don't receive all the good things that God has for us. And, and it's not because it's, it's money we love, it's because of what money and all these things seem to give us. Because all these things, all these idols, they, they promise us status, they promise us significance, they promise us a sense of security. And sometimes well-meaning preachers will, will, will just tell you, they'll just say, hey, just let go of it. Just let go and move on. Let go of your bitterness. Let go of all this stuff. And, and people will try to get us to let go of these things with shame and with guilt. And guess what? It doesn't work. Jesus is telling us here that it is impossible to let go of all of this stuff that we're holding on to on our own. With our own power, it's impossible to let go. It's only the power of God at work in us that can free us from these things and help us to encounter and to follow Jesus and receive the good gifts that he wants to give us. It's only when God and his power is at work within us, revealing to us that Jesus is better then what is holding us back from him? It's only then that we can release them and follow Jesus. It's only when we realize that Jesus gives us true significance. Jesus gives us a new identity. Jesus gives us a new community. Jesus gives us peace that money can never provide. It's only when God reveals those things to us that we can begin to let go of the things holding us back. It's only when we realize that Jesus is better than this stuff. And that Jesus, he let go of his life for us on the cross so that we could have life. It's only when God begins to reveal those things to us and Jesus looks at us and he loves us and we respond to that love. That's when we can let go of these things and we can walk into the newness of life that Jesus offers to us. And so this morning... I wonder what's holding you back from Jesus. What are you holding on to? Or if you put yourself in this story and you were the person who came to Jesus, what's that one thing you're afraid that he might ask you to leave behind? I mean, Jesus, when he was teaching about his followers surrendering, themselves and taking up their cross and following him to the cross. I mean, Jesus, he taught that he calls us to surrender more than our money. The disciples, I mean, they really left everything behind to follow him. Jesus calls us to surrender more than our money, but he never calls us to surrender less than our money to him. And he does this because in his culture, it was the same as today. Money is one of the hardest things to let go of. It is an idol that affects so many of us. And so this morning, I, I wonder, I mean, what would it look like for us as Christians, as disciples of Jesus, to, to, to let go of our money? so that we can hold on to him. I mean, what would it look like if, if instead of spending money on ourselves, saving money for ourselves, and then if there's anything left over, which let's be honest, there rarely is, then giving that money away to God and his purposes, what if we actually began to flip the script? 
What if we first began giving away money, then saving money for ourselves, and then finally spending money on ourselves? What if we reversed it? I mean, it would be very countercultural. What if we began to see that Jesus is better than what money promises us? Jesus is our true source of significance and security and status. What if we began realizing Jesus is better and we began letting go of our money? What would happen in our life and what would happen in our world? I mean, it's kind of a big question to ask and researchers have actually found somewhat of an answer to the question. Because researchers show that that in the average American church, uh, about 10 to 25% of people tithe their money. That is, give the first 10% to God and his purposes and ministry and give it away. About 10 to 25% tithe, that is, they give $1 out of every $10 to God. They give first, then save, then spend. And the researchers have found that in America alone, if churches, if Christians, the 75 to 90% of other people began letting go, that in five years, there'd be enough money for world hunger to be solved. In five years, all preventable diseases would be gone. In five years, all clean water issues and sanitation issues would be nixed. Illiteracy, gone. All missionaries fully funded and a hundred billion dollars left over. Isn't that wild? But for that happens, it requires us to let go. But letting go doesn't happen when we feel uncomfortable or we feel guilt or we feel shame. Letting go happens when we see that Jesus is better. He's better than all of the stuff in the world. He's better than all the false promises that these things give to us. But not only would all of those things happen through our giving, as we let go of our money and all the other idols and things that we're clinging on to, our hands would be more free to embrace Jesus, to follow him, and to do his work in the world. So I want to ask you again, what are you holding on to? And what might God be calling you to release this morning? Jesus is better. And he wants to take your hands. Let's pray. God, we have so many things in our lives that we cling on to. God, we want to be comfortable. We want to feel secure. We want a sense of of peace. We want purpose. And God, this morning we confess that instead of turning to you and finding those things through your son, Jesus... So often we're clinging on to other things. So God, this morning we ask that there would be no spirit of fear, no spirit of condemnation, no spirit of shame, no spirit of guilt. 
But God, we pray that you would help us to see Jesus looking at our hearts and Jesus loving us this morning, loving us enough to tell us the truth, the truth that he needs us to let go of those things so that we can embrace the life that he desires for us. God, in this moment of silent prayer right now, we pray that that you would speak to us and help us see what we need to let go of this morning. speak to each of our hearts. Help us to see that Jesus is better. Jesus is greater. Jesus, your son, let go of everything so that we could receive life and life eternal. And we ask all these things in his son's name.